This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Father, I'll give you thanks. Lord, we align ourselves with you this morning. We align ourselves with you this morning. Lord, our values are aligning to yours. Our beliefs are aligning to yours. Today, we have faith in you. Not in ourselves, not in our systems, but in you. Lord, it is your will that will be done in our lives. In the name of Jesus. We declare that every heart is healed. Every heart of discontent. Every heart of greed-induced anxiety. Every heart that is worried of tomorrow. Every heart that is anxious. Every heart that is fearful. We decree, decree healing this morning. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, church, let's have a seat. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hello, everybody. How are you doing in church? Are you sure you're happy to be in church? Are you sure? Praise God. talking about money right and um, today should be the final part in this series I intend for today to be the final part but I have a lot to say so I just hope it doesn't take long but um, um, the Lord will help me in Jesus name before I start I want to first make something clear um, in the past Sundays we've talked about um, God's perspective God's will about money right talk about God's will about money and we try to understand what God's will about money exactly is and we looked at everything right and then praise God all right sorry about that um so we first of all talked about um what money is exactly we talked about what money is exactly I'll try to you know try to lay a foundation and put a background into it and then after that we try to talk about God's will for money talk about God's hierarchy of values or God's priorities and we saw how that you know um, human free will or also called human agency is God's priority because it's the foundation on everything of everything that God be doing with humanity followed by God's um, human salvation and then we talked about things like human enjoyment and money and all that praise God and we try to you know lay a foundation a strong foundation so we can understand that see it is God that gives us all things richly to enjoy so finding the will of God as per God wanting human beings to enjoy you know, and to flourish is, 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 is undoubtable. It's undoubtable about the scriptures. But the problem is when we magnify it beyond bounds. It is when we idolize it. It's when it, becomes to com- when it begins to compete with God in our hearts. When it rises to the top of our hierarchy of our values. When it becomes an end and all other things are a means to it. That's where there's a problem. Hallelujah. 
we must um, develop the ability to choose the weightier matters. If we ever find ourselves in a situation where we have to pick and such situations will come, such situations will come. They don't always come, but such situations will come. If I enjoy what I said, and let me prepare you. I was thinking of something over the week, and something dawned on me, and I just said to myself that I would rather just stop doing ministry than start telling lies or saying things that I don't believe or say things that are not true. I will not add to the stumbling block that people come because there are such things as stumbling block. Jesus says, or Jesus said, offense will come, but woe to whom through they come. There will be stumbling blocks. Apostle Paul talks about the fact that people don't, but for your sake, the name of the Lord is blasphemed. He mentioned it four times in the New Testament. So there is such a thing as becoming a stumbling block to the faith of another person. There is such a thing as a believer's conduct and actions or the words of a minister adding to the pro- problems or the, um, you know, to the difficulty of people receiving God's word properly. I will not add to it. There are already enough problems on the earth. There are already enough distractions. As a minister, I cannot come and add to it. So I must tell you the truth. I hear what I'm saying. I hear what I'm saying. I know that um, a couple of us in our church caused a whole lot of fracas during the week. And um, there's, there's always a dimension of lack of understanding of where somebody is coming from, which might have contributed to the misunderstanding of what was being said. But that notwithstanding, the reason why this kind of understanding is very important is so that your faith is not resting in the wrong things. Your faith must be in God, in God's word, and not in yourself. We must never reduce the word of faith, the gospel of Christ, to new age mysticism, where people have faith in there are positive confessions more than in God's word. Church, out together. For example, if a person says, I can never be broke, what do you mean? If a time comes where you have to sacrifice your money for the gospel, are you saying you will not do that? If a time comes where you need to be broke for the sake of the gospel, can you do that? Or is your response to what I'm saying saying, no, I will not be broke no matter what are you saying? What are you communicating to your spirit? What are you saying? Or are you saying you will never sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Or are you saying it is too much that for you to go without some, um, um, some pleasures for the sake of the gospel? I will never be broke. What does that mean? Hallelujah. What does that mean? Is that a statement of faith or is a positive confession? Is it the kind of statement that the apostles made? No. Is it the kind of um, statement that Jesus made? No. Is it the kind of statement that we see in the law and the prophets? No. So what are we confessing? Our confessions must be God's word, not what makes us feel good. Hallelujah. That is not to say that being broke is a virtue or is something desirous. No, poverty is not a virtue. And wealth is not a virtue either. What is a virtue? Following the will of God. Doing the will of God. 
doing the will of God. So if it is necessary that I be broke for the gospel, then so be it. If it is necessary that I go through a time of not having, while the Lord is preparing me for something better, then so be it. What matters is that I will do the will of God. Note, I'm not saying needless suffering because what I'm going to talk about today is how to prevent needless suffering because there is needless brokenness. There is brokenness that is not necessary. Praise God. There is, apostle, see, the apostles were very wise and they distinguished it. They distinguished suffering for the sake of Christ and sufferings for the sake of following the, the will of God and sufferings that are needless. Apostle Peter was very clear. Apostle Paul was very clear. Read the book of First Peter. You see it in chapter 3. Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter says, see, there is suffering that is for Christ that you rejoice in and enjoy. But there is suffering that is not necessary. Useless suffering. That's what I'm going to talk about today. There is some poverty that you don't need to be poor. In fact, because of the kind of context that we are in now as a society where we are not having a lot of religious persecution, the truth is that most of us will hardly ever go through that cycle where you have to be so broke for the sake of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? But it is important that we preserve the gospel. Because we don't know. We don't know what is coming. We actually don't. Even if it doesn't happen to us, what are we going to teach the next generation? Are we going to hand over a gospel that only anticipates enjoyment to the next generation such that if something happens, they will not be prepared? Is that what we are going to teach them? Church, are we together? So you see Psalms. You see the law and the prophet. You see from the old to the new. See, See here, there's a way we read our Bible. From the old to the new, look at the disposition of the prophets. Look at David. David will say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because God is with me. That is confession of, of, of faith. He's not saying I am not in the shadow of the... Say, I can never be in the shadow of the, uh, shadow of the death of evil. That's not confession. He says, though I be there, the Lord is with me. Oh, why read the Psalms? You see David saying, my enemies have surrounded me. All kinds of things have happened. This has happened, but the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my comforter. The Lord will help me. He will strengthen my arm. That is the believer's confession. Paul will say, though we hunger for the sake of the gospel, though we are broke, though we are despised of all men, we are doing for the sake of Christ, and yet in all these things we rejoice. Peter will say, though all this suffering, that is... Um, you know, um, um, how, how did he put it in the first, uh, first chapter 1? He said, oh, you know, all this temporary suffering that, that are refining your faith in the Lord is to the end of the salvation of your souls. That is the gospel. That is Christianity. Christianity is not afraid of challenges. Christianity is not so scared of poverty that the very sound of, it is possible for a Christian to, to be poor. You start panicking and start saying, no, the will of God is for spirit. No, that's not Christianity. Besides his poverty comes, so what? So what? We do the will of God. I hear what I'm saying to you. I hear what I'm saying to you. We have Christians right now in China 
that are literally, not um, figuratively, not in an exaggerated sense, that are literally living from day to day, not knowing when the authorities will come for them to kill them. There are people putting their lives on the line so that North Korean slaves can escape to freedom. They are putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel alone. 3,000 people are being converted to Christianity every year, every month in Iraq right now. Right now, we have underground Christian channels that people can tune into their radios and hear the gospel of Christ at the threat of their lives. We have people in Iran, Pakistan, that are ostracized from socioeconomic benefits for the sake of the gospel. Do not do them a disservice by saying things like I cannot be broke. What do you mean? It's a, you are spitting on their face by saying things like the Christian can never be poor. What is the meaning of that statement? We're not rejoicing and we're not rejoicing and celebrating poverty. Don't get it wrong. The fact that I have to keep repeating that is, is already bad enough. It is not a celebration of poverty. It is a celebration of the will of God. The will of God must be primates. The will of God must be number one. Church, all together. So we're moving on. And what I want to talk about today is how to make financial gain. Note I did not say how to become rich. And the reason why I wanted to clarify that is because the word rich or the word poor is extremely relative and it's open to all kinds of confusion. The word rich and the word poor, they are relative. And there's nothing that God is doing in our lives that is relative. Do you hear I just said to you now? It's something I want to, say, I want to hone down on. I want to emphasize on today. Listen to me, TC. Listen to me. Hear this and teach people outside. There's nothing that God is doing in your life that is relative. God is not looking at someone else to do things in your life. What God is doing in your life is purely his will for you. It's not a matter of other people. I hear what I'm saying to you. So, this is not a teaching on how to become rich. Because that suggests that God wants to teach you how to make money more than other people. That's not what we're teaching you. We're teaching you what, what, what I'll teach you from God's word is what God's word says about you making financial gain in your context, where you are. Making financial gain so that you can have enough to live a good life. It is for you. It is not compared to other people. The reason why I'm making this distinction is that when God is doing something in your life and you are making financial gain, it is possible that when you are making your own financial gain, the money you will make will be more than what other people are making. It's, 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 it's immaterial. It also means that you might be making material gain for yourself and it will not be as much as other people's own compared to them you are poor. Do you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? It's about your own financial gain. It's about your own benefits. It's about your own material comfort. Not compared to other people. Because God can be, you can be making your material gain and compared to another person, you will be poor. It is possible. For example, and I said uh, sarcastically, and, I don't, and I, I'm, not, I'm not repenting of it. If you say, I can never be broke, you need to specify the currency. Imagine a Nigerian middle-class guy earning his um, middle-class money saying, I can never be broke. 
and the Saudi Arabians are looking at you like, what is this one scene? Kuwaiti guys are looking at you like, which you can know, you are broke compared to them. Meanwhile, as you are saying I cannot be broke, you are correct. Because once you go to Togo, you are a big boy. See those guys that come and work, work in Nigeria from Togo before the Naira became very, very useless. Hmm? Those guys used to come and work for a year, collect their salary and go back. Do you know that many of them, when they collect their salary, like you give them 300,000, when they go take it to their country, they're like millionaires. Some of them go and become chiefs in their village with your 300,000. And that's the way my colleagues working in the UK are looking at us right now. They are collecting your middle class salary and then they are collecting money that even their own citizens are not collecting because they feel it's too small. And when they come to Nigeria, they're coming to buy a house in the Kejajiri. So when he says, I'm, I can never be it's a meaningless statement. According to his, I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry that offends your sense. It's a meaningless statement. If we weigh it compared to the scriptures, it's a meaningless statement. It's, it's just a statement that makes you happy. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. If you are born in Koma Hills, or you are born in Iwo, I, I grew up in a town where if you were earning like 50,000 in a month, you were a big boy. I come from a town where when I was at home during the holidays, people used to come and grease my parents' rack a day. You're a big man. But when I went to secondary school, when I went to school, I used to hide. Yes. Praise God. I mean, I literally used to hide. Literally. I used to talk about my family. When my parents are coming to come and visit me, I'll tell them to park somewhere. I'll bring the back to come and meet them. Sometimes, many times, when other my colleagues that are using, using Jeep to come and pick them to go home, me, well, by the time, by the later part, when things got really bad for us, it was public transport I was going to go home. So I said, I'm coming, I'm coming, guys, we're going, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. When people are not looking, you go, just bone your face, just find where you park your bag, go, go to the gates and enter your bus. <laughs> Hallelujah. In fact, that thing builds character because it got to a point where I found out that pretending was not sustainable. Then you spin it and make it a badge and brilliant. Even though my parents don't have money. Yes, I used to carry first. You will spin it. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything. Church, I'm together. That's why when you look at the scriptures, you will never see anywhere where there was anything about God profiting or helping the believer to profit or to do well financially that had to do with being rich than someone or being poorer than someone, so to speak. It was always a function of what God was doing in their lives. Let's look at the scriptures. You know, I'm not sure you can say I'm not whining you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Okay, we need to get that. Um, what's the name? We need to get. Um, we need to get a projector. Because I, I would like to be able to just. We read it last, um, we read it last Sunday. I'd like to be able to just move quickly. Chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those what in need. So you can see that. So let the man that used to steal stop stealing and work so that he can have enough for himself. It's not a matter of so he can become richer than someone. You don't see those kind of comparisons. 
what I want to tell you is how you can make financial gain in your context. Not I said in your context. Because these principles apply everywhere. If you are in a country where the context allows for a lot of financial profits, you will do well in measure of that context. And if you're in a country or in a society where the context is relatively poor, compared to that context, you will also do okay. Do you hear what I just said to you now? Did you hear what I just said to you now? <laughs> Listen to me. You see all these... Um, Isaac sold in the same land and reaped a hundredfold. Yes, I just, it was this week I got to discover that there's a lot of fallacy, what's fallatical? Fallacious, thank you. I say fallatical. Listen, don't sapa. There's a lot of fallacious, horrible exegesis and hermeneutics in looking at that scripture. Isaac sold in the same land and reaped a hundredfold. Number one, it does not say he was the only one. Am I correct? Number two, it does not say, okay, well, that's it. It does not say it was the only one. Number two, there's no place in the scripture that tells us that Abraham or Isaac or Jacob were the richest men. In fact, what we see is that they were not even the richest people. Hallelujah. Church, are we together? Follow me. You see this, um, Isaac sold in the same land and reaped a hundredfold. Therefore, I can be in Nigeria. But it's a lie. You will profit as much as your context permits. That's what God is doing in you. Such that even if you're in a village where the only work they are doing is farming and animal farming and plant farming, in that plant farming and animal farming, you will do okay. If you're in a village where all they do is goat rearing and chicken rearing, that's all they do. You will do okay. And if you are in a society where they have multi-billion dollar tech companies, you will do okay. It is not relative. It is irrespective of where you are. They are scriptural principles for wherever you find yourself. The Nigerian cannot be in Nigeria. Hear what I'm saying to you. In Nigeria cannot be in Nigeria. His wealth built on Nigeria and be as rich as Jeff Bezos is not a cause. Unless you want to sell one quarter of Nigeria to yourself. Their business is worth $120 billion, isn't it? The entire Nigeria's GDP is $165 billion. Their business alone is worth one-fourth of our entire GDP. Do you want to sell the whole Nigeria to yourself? You cannot be as rich as business in Nigeria. If you step into America, it's possible. Because there's the possibility there, based on the society. You cannot be in a desert and say you will build a, you you will have Atlantic Ocean in the desert. It does not make sense. Based on what the desert, as much as the desert can produce, as much as it can produce, we can profit based on that. Just like what I'm saying. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So this is not a teaching on how to be rich. It's a teaching on how to profit the godly way on how to do well where you are and you will do well praise God say I will do well say I will do well say I will have more than enough praise God so let's go on so um, those people that have been following us in our te- those people that followed us in our teaching on um, the protestant reformation they are going to really enjoy what I'm going to say if you haven't 
try and get the last four midweek services. It will help you to get a lot of context on what I'm about to say now because I want to use something to teach first. I want to lay a foundation for you to get to your mind. It will help you to understand why this principle is the way it is. It is, on, it is an immutable principle. Let me sound like as bad to choir as well. These are principles that transcend time. If you follow these principles, they are sure for you. Nikwala Kuti. Azwa. Praise God. But on a serious note, these are principles. Principles that have been in all of God's dealings with the people in the trial of the scriptures. If you look at it, they are it is it is cross-covenantal. It is cross-testamental. It is principles that are sure as all of God's interactions with us. That's what I want to teach you this morning. But I want to lay a foundation so that you can really understand. So in the 1900s, in socioeconomic status, until very recently, with the rise of the Asian tigers. And I'll tell you why. you see how everything makes sense now. You'll see. Until very recently, with the rise of the Asian tigers, one of the things that they found is that Protestant countries, I mean, that is Christian Western countries, that's European countries that were Protestants, that were majorly Protestants like England, um, Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, right? Not Western European countries, Scandinavian countries. Those countries, their wealth was five times that of Catholic churches and Catholic nations, nations that were majorly Catholic, like Spain, Greece, and Co. Their wealth was five times their own. Five times. They are all mates together. They've all been doing their Western European, um, what they call it, Holy Roman, um, Holy Roman Catholic Empire. Do you understand? Under the Habsburg dynasties, under Charlemagne, the Western European uh, countries, they have been doing their, their siblings, as far as I'm concerned. They've been doing their things for 2,000 years. Ago. I hear what I'm saying to you. Yet, what they found was that Protestant countries were five times richer than the Catholic majority countries. The Huguenots in France were controlling a significant portion of wealth, and they were they were Protestants in France. They were Huguenots. In, they called them the Huguenots. They were inside France Protestants, and they were much richer than their Catholic contemporaries, which is a, a majority Catholic country. Say why? Then the Protestant countries are, were ten times richer than all the Middle Eastern countries and Asian countries. Why? Let's not even compare to Africa. Let's just leave that aside. Why? So let me tell you. So something very interesting happened. Now, this is not an endorsement of the things that happened. It is to explain certain principles to you. Then I will, sh- will, now, will now subject all those things to God's word. Do you understand that? I'm just going to show you what happened. I'm not endorsing those things that happened or those ideas. I'll show you what happened, then we'll submit those things to God's word, and then we'll move from there. Church, travel together. Something, something happened very, very, something interesting happened um, when the Protestant Reformation broke out and spread like wildfire all through Northwestern, um, Northwestern, but Northwest Europe, and then North America. So you guys know the story now. We've talked about it, right? So when the thing broke out, when broke out in the 16th century, not, um, uh, Western Europe caught the fire. You know, um, Germany, Switzerland. Um, Swiss countries, um, Netherlands, lower part of Netherlands, lower part of Netherlands, southern part of Netherlands. Next thing, England caught the fire. Next thing, Scotland caught the fire. And all of them caught the fire of the Protestant Reformation. The French and the Spanish were still 
try to fight against it, right? And so, then after, by the, by, by the time of the 17th century, we began to found the immigrants. We began to found the exploration of the new world. This was a time when um, England and Spain began to compete among themselves for supremacy and all that they began to have. Spain going to the, the South American colonies and then England in competition also, they began to go to North America, you know, while now spilling into the 18th century. They began to go into North America. Then something interesting begins to happen. We're going to find something. So when Matilda came out of the gospel, there was a, there was a belief system in the Catholic Church, um, or it, it arose over time, based on the writings of people like Eusebius and St. Augustine. There was this feeling, or there was this idea, right, basically, that there is holy work, there is sacred work. And sac- Are you guys listening to me? Follow me very well. There is sacred work, and sacred work is when you're a Catholic priest. Things like that. Do you understand that? That's sacred work, that's holy work, that is righteous work. And then there is normal work that is not so holy. That's what we do on our daily basis. What we do on a daily basis, that's not holy work, in quotes, right? And all those things fed into that general culture of the fact that um, you have to keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? So um, because you have to keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, there were good things, there were holy things that you could do that could show your penitence and your confessions, your, your penance and your confessions, and that's where the whole idea of penance is, you know, it's a whole doctrinal thing. We've talked about it before, so let me not feed into it. Basically, Shah, what it means is this. There was a belief system at the time that there was holy work and there was not unholy, but normal work. Holy work is being done by the priests and the cardinals and the popes. The work you do on a daily basis is just normal work. And, and all these things fed from the basic understanding and feeling in the Catholic Church that working hard was a result of the cost that God cost Abraham. That when God said, from the sweat of your brow, you shall till the earth. That feeling was that when people are having to work hard, eh, that is a result of the cost. So working was in itself not considered a good thing. Someone that is working hard is considered someone that is participating in that cost of Edom. Do you understand that? So, one very interesting thing is that you can't, the, the, the context in medieval times, medieval Western Europe, this was the context. Number one thing was that um, they believed that, so when you're doing your normal work, your day-to-day work as a vocation and the vocational person and all that, that work is not holy work. When you're doing priest work, that's work that is, that's why people that used to go to school to become priests, in fact, in those days, the priests were the most educated people because you go to school, go to university, go study law, study theology, study philosophy so that you can become a priest because it was considered the highest possible work you can do. Then, Guru Bere work. All those people were not educated because it was not considered the highest form of work. That's one. Number two, they did not used to work hard. <laughs> Scholars say that nowadays, the average eight to five worker, the work you do between January and June is more than the work that an average medieval person, medieval times, letter me to middle ages person does in a year. I'm telling you. Because what they used to do is that number one, they wake up when the sun comes up and they go to bed when the sun goes down. When they wake up in the morning, they will do some work, then they'll go for break, break rest, break rest, breakfast rest. They'll eat and rest. Then they'll go for some work again, then they'll have for lunch rest, and then they'll sleep. Then they'll do some small work after. So that's how they were working. In those days, they used to have 38 public holidays in a year, sanctioned by the Catholic Church. 38 public holidays. Around 38 or 40. It's not, this, you know, in those days, when you have a celebration in your, in, your, in your house, in your family, right? You were expected to do it for seven days straight. It's called an ale. That's where the word bridal and all those things come from. 
So if you are having marriage ceremony in your house, it's seven days, Monday to Sunday. If, you are, if someone should die in your house, it's Monday to Sunday. That's how they do it. They, 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 they play out, they don't walk. In fact, there was a guy, something poor, Pokington or something in Scotland that said that was complaining about how lazy Catholic people are. That was the context because it was not considered um, serious work. So there was no much value on working hard with your hands and creating something, you know, valuable and all that. Everybody just wanted to live a peaceful life. And that's, that's my advantages to it, obviously, right? So that aside, but that was the context of the way things were, you know? Another thing was that, that really helped people was that people's sign of being saved was secured by the, by the Catholic Church. So how do you know you are saved? You are saved, you have done baptism. So because your parents did baptism for you when you were small, you have been saved, right? The original sin has been washed away. And then in the working out of your salvation, you keep working it out by doing penance, by doing confession and all those things. So you feel saved. Just what I just said to you. You have an external evidence for your salvation. So people did not need things of the world to make them feel saved. They already had all that inside of them. Then these coconut-headed protestants enter the group chats. <laughs> Martin Luther entered the group chat. I'll tell you what all of them were saying. You know, all the different Protestants at the time. Martin Luther entered the group chat and laid the foundation. The first thing he said is, there's nothing like sacred work and unholy work. Everybody's work is what? Holy. If you are a welder and you are not doing prostitution, you are not stealing people's money, that work you are doing is unto God. Just like Apostle Paul said, that whatever you do, do it what? Unto God. So he told them, Baba, if you are a carpenter, your carpenter is in service to God. Because if you do it right, you don't defraud anybody, you are serving God and God will bless you for it. Ah. So the way you are doing priest work is the way you should do carpenter work. Eh? Protestant said, what? Excuse me? He began to tell them that work is not punishment. That work is good. That God gave us work on purpose because of our coconut head. That is not a cause. Because I explained to them that that thing was not a cause. That that's why God told Abraham, Adam, even before he fell, walk in the garden. You see that? Do you see that? See, those guys know Bible. Say what you like about them. They know Bible. He told them that work is not a cause. That work is God told Adam to walk even before he fell. So work is not a curse. So work is good. Are you guys writing it down? You guys are enjoying story. Okay, you listen to the message later. That you can take notes. You focus on me. I want you to get what I'm saying very well. So you will not be distracted. Church, I was together. Number two. They said work was good. The second thing was that the protestant insisted that you must work hard. Because if the work is unto God, then it must be done hard. It must be done well. Nothing like, I'll wake up and just do things anyhow. I'll just be lounging and everything. Martin Luther then began to insist that if you want to work, you must work hard. Because, let me read the scripture for you. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Or First Thessalonians chapter 3. Did I say First Thessalonians? Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let me read from verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and what? Disruptive. Do you see that? Hey, are you guys reading that? Keep away from every believer that is what? Idle and disruptive. So they began to tell the people that laziness, you walk in the morning and you are going to sit down, you are sleeping, you are gisting. They said, it's not good. They're supposed to keep away from you. 
<laughs> See, and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourself know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring. Do you see that? Laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to what imitate. So you see what the protesters were talking about? That work is not a cause. Work is not a bad thing. Work is good. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not what? Eat. Anybody that will not work should not what? Eat. So, look at verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, but they are busy bodies. Such people will command and urge in the name of the Lord Christ to settle down and earn the food they want eat. So, laziness or lounging or taking things slowly now was converted from a good thing to a bad thing. This was between Luther and Calvin. There was now another angle that my John Calvin now added to it. Not the angle that he, had, he now added to it. He now added that. He now added, which I'm not saying I endorse it, but I wanted to hear it. John Calvin now began to add, for the Calvinists, this idea was now added into their own Protestant, Protestantism. They now began to say things like, the evidence that you are the elect, please, if you've not gotten our message on, just go and listen to it. And I can't be explaining the doctrinal context now. Abi? Abi now? It will make sense, right? So let me just continue. Um, they began to say that the evidence of your salvation, if you are the elect, the people that have limited atonement was paid for, the evidence that you are the elect is that it shows in your life. So if God has elected someone, if the hand of God is upon someone, it shows in their life. And what is their life? What are the things that they do? The work of their hands. So they began to think and they began to believe very strongly that if you are saved, your work, the work of your hands will do well. If you are part of the elect, if you are part of the people that were chosen, the work of your hands will do what? Do well. So the, it's like the Calvinists now, you know there were plenty of reformed guys, but the Calvinists in particular, they now took their work with muscle. Because if the work is not working, then that means I'm not really saved. Because God cannot be with me and I'll be living my life anyhow. So the proof that I'm saved is that it will show in the work of my hands. Church, I together. Then the Methodists, you know, the them. them, they're not reformed, but they added another spin. Not their own words. They believe that God is a God that plans. God is not a God of disorder. So if you're a Christian, you must plan your life. They believe so much in you must save, you must plan your life. There's nothing like, um, we're just going, the Lord will teach us tomorrow. Methodists were against that thing. Most of us, Pentecostals and all that, we are actually of the lineage of Methodists. I hope you know that. Okay, don't worry, we'll talk about that one later. This week, we're going to talk about the history of charismatics, isn't it? The history of Pentecostalism. I'll do a brief history from um, Charles Wesley to um, Pentecostalism and all that, and you see the connection, right? So the Methodists now began to say that if you're a Christian, you should plan your life. Do you understand? You should live your life well. The Presbyterians up, up in Scotland, the children of John Knox and Co., you know they definitely began to say, they began to say things like, if you're a child of God, you cannot be spreading, spending your money anyhow. You must be prudent. You must be frugal. 
they agreed with all the other the first two things I said about work and work not being secret again because that was the foundation that Martin Luther laid but they were not adding their own spices or laying some emphasis do you understand what I'm saying to you they were not laying some emphasis based on that sub substructure and we say um, you know the presbyter would have to say that if you are any money you should not be living life you should not be a consumerist you should not be making money and be living large and be spreading your money up and down you're supposed to be frugal all be prudence the money that you earn you take it and reinvest it you take it and reinvest it. It's not for you to be spending on yourself and believing large. That's what the Presbyterians believed. Then one thing that all of them all believed in common was that they believed very strongly that he that does not work should not what eat. So you know what they used to do? They used to do welfare. They don't do welfare. I'm telling you. If you don't have work, you cannot come and beg for food. What they do is they will give you money to be educated. They will give you money to earn skills. If you want to start a business, they will give you. But you see money to just eat. The Bible says, he that does not work should not work eat. So, if, so what is what they used to do? If you are hungry, they will tell you, come and work. I will pay you. That's what they used to say. If you check all those old days movies, that's what they will say. Oh, you see all those guys walking on the road, all those um, hobos and everything. They will tell you that, what can I do in this house to earn a living? So they will say, that's what they believe. He that does not work should not eat. I can't just give you money. So they will say, my roof is leaking. Come and walk and I'll pay you. Nothing like, just give me money. Do you know the effect was? High. Do you know the effect was? Wherever the Protestants were many, within a short time, while people are sleeping, they are walking. The more, as they are walking and they are making profit, they are not spending it. They are keeping it and saving it and reinvesting it. The Huguenots were in France so, so much that the Catholic French were so jealous of them, they started persecuting and trying to kill them. Even with that, they were still richer than them. England, boom. Germany, Switzerland, boom. Spain now started depreciating consistently. Do you know there was a time that Spain controlled the entire Western Europe? What we see today is a complete skewing of the way it was 400 years ago. Spain, the Spanish, were in charge. The French ran Western Europe for after the you know after the that's why oh god I'm not going the into the history too much. The French and the Spanish ran those, all those other people were small boys. The Protestant work ethic came and it changed the entire dynamic of Western Europe. Meanwhile, we now see something also very similar began to happen more recent times in the East. In the eastern part of the world. That's where we have um, the Orientals, right? Okay, they said that word is not um, is not is not proper. Where we have guys in the far east, Japan, um, Singapore, China, South Korea, and all those things. Something else was different among about them. Recently, we're going to see how their economy have boomed suddenly, right? All of a sudden, it seems like as if they've left the rest of the world. Don't worry, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, Sam, sit down. This video, they know that we are in the church. Sit down. So, listen, you know, something very interesting happened. And guess what? The rise of those people can also be connected to something. So, there's something called um, Confucianism. That is the Confucius, Confucius way of thinking. The Confucian way of thinking, right? That, that is, is that you must work very hard. That you must work very hard. You must work very hard. So what now began to happen 
what that began to happen is that the Western ideology of free market, because one of the things that I'm stringing them before now is that part of the Confucian ethos is the fact that there is a very strong authority structure, such that it was easy for the guys in authority to be controlling people in the South and stifle growth. But the moment, the moment there was an opening up to a more liberal perspective of things that they received from the West, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Are you guys following what I'm saying? The moment there was an opening up to more liberal way of doing society, democratization of things, and the opening up of things, free markets and everything, guess what? Boom! There's an explosion. Why? The Confucian ethos of working very hard and working with dignity fused with that opening up of free markets caused them to explode. And that's what you're going to see today. Go and check. When it comes to working hard, when it comes to working hard, the Confucian ethos has made the Far Eastern guys, the Chinese, the Japanese, and those guys to work hard. Those guys work hard. That's why Americans are the way they are. Because they were built their entire society. Because everybody that moved to the to um, America, in fact, most of the guys that moved to America were moving based on religious persecution for Protestantism. So many of them moved there and they built America on the Protestant work ethic. They built Canada on the Protestant work ethic. Compare them to South American countries that were built on the Catholic work ethic. I hope you know that 95% of the indigenous South Americans died because of the diseases that Europeans brought. Most of the guys you are seeing in South America today are Europeans, just like Americans. They are Europeans by descent. What's the difference? Why are the Protestant work ethic countries richer, many fold, than the others? Why are the countries with the Confucian ethos of working hard? richer than the others. Why? Why? You will see now. And everybody listen to me and listen to me very clearly. The way to make financial gain is based on three things. It is consistent in all of the scriptures and and all the evidence that we have in the world today is consistent with it. It is not a matter of your confessions. It is not a matter of sowing and reaping, in quotes. It's not a matter of those things. Making financial gain is based on some things that we see in God's word. It is consistent from the old to the new. It is consistent in the evidence that we see on the world across all countries and across all cultures. It is consistent. God did it like that from the beginning when Adam fell even before Adam fell. And we see that principle consistently driving down till now. And I'm going to show you now. If you follow these things, as much if you're in Nigeria or wherever you are, you hear my voice. As much as your society can afford you, you will do well. Listen to me now. Hear me. Number one thing that we see, you now begin to see it based on the Protestant work ethic, is that you must learn a skill and be competent. Learn a skill and be competent at it. Be very good at it. Learn a skill and be competent at it. This is universal. It is the way God blesses his people. It is the way God blessed his elect nation, Israel. Is the way God blesses Christians till now. It is the way God has blessed all of humanity. Because God's will for us to enjoy all good things richly is not for only Christians. It's not for only Jews. 
is for all human beings because God loves all human beings. And if you want to make financial gain, this is the first thing. Learn a skill and be competent at it. Be very good at it. Be better at it than most people. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Stop sowing seed and confessing when you don't know how to do stuff. Proverbs 22 verse 29. Can we read it? Anybody that grew up in a Christian home that does not know this scripture should go and collect. They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Hey, I want to break one table and I don't want that table to ever be built again. You know that table is? Divine favor. Unmerited favor. Solomon says, they will stand. Divine favor is competence. They are not apart. There has never been any divine favor that God ever did for anybody that was apart from them being skilled in their work. Go and check. And if you can see one, come and call me a liar. There is no single example of divine favor, open door, divine breakthrough that was divorced from the person being extremely skilled and competent in their work. Not one. That's why Solomon said they will, not they may, not they might. Solomon did not even, did not even add any supernatural component to it. He says if you are good in your work, you will serve before kings. He didn't put maybe. There was no comma. There was no doubt. What he means is that if you get good at what you do, if you become the best at what you do in a matter of time, you will roll with the big dogs. And it is consistent. It is cross-cultural. It is cross-testamental. It is universal. It is global. You get good at something, you get paid for it. Don't forget what I told you in the first service. What is money? Money is when people vote. It is a representation of their value for what is good. If you have a skill that is valuable, people will vote for it by paying you for it. Did you hear what I'm saying to you now? Stop telling yourself things like you have not prayed enough, you are not fasting enough, that's why you are poor. One of the reasons why people are broke all over the place is because they don't know, they are not confident in what they are doing. My wife will tell you, we are arguing about it yesterday. We have a serious crisis of unemployable people in Nigeria. Let's not talk about whose fault it is. Let's not go there. Let's talk about the problem. We have a serious problem of unemployable youth. I see it myself. When my wife used to say it then, before I got where I am now, I would say, I just understand. Now I understand. You interview people. You interview plenty of people. You just be saying stupid yams. Nonsense talk. Quality nowhere to be found. People that do well always shine. He that is skillful in his work will stand before kings and not before me men. All the examples that we always used to deceive ourselves of how God can turn your story overnight. God can do it for you. Look at a crowd of millions of people and say, God will do it for you. God will do it for you. God will do it for you. And you are not wrong, go. But what 900,000 people are saying is that this is my incompetence. God will shall make a way for me. You brought look back. You know say The God that can take Joseph from the prison to the palace. I'm annoyed. Acts chapter 7. Who is in church here? Is anybody in church? Okay. I want you to read, read the book of Acts chapter 7 
Verse 10 for me. Acts 7 verse 10. Can you read it? Read it out. And rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh. Eh? Eh? Say, I'll just read it out. God also gave him what? Unusual wisdom. Joseph did not become prime minister because of vibes. The man demonstrated competence. He was not only able to interpret the dream, and that means he was not only able to diagnose the problem, he was able to profile solutions to the problem. No, they are two different things. That's what you call competence. When you can do a case study and analysis and pick out the exact problem and then solve the problem. Joseph was extremely competent. So when he said he gave him favor, the favor was based on what? Competence. There is no example of a man that had favor with God that was divorced from his competence. Not one. You know what the Apostle Luke says about Jesus? That's Luke chapter 3 now. Is it Luke chapter 3 or Luke chapter 2? Let me check it to be sure. Yes, Luke chapter 2 verse 52. He says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and with favor before men. Wisdom and with favor before men. Do you know why? Because it's when Jesus drops some hits. People will just hug him. When he dropped some words of wisdom, people started liking him. People started favoring him. Ah! It didn't shock me when I was meditating on him. I discovered that even men that people do not want to favor, eh? if there's a door that is open, after I've been telling you since that skill will make doors open for you. If you see some doors that people don't want to open because they don't like you, if you are competent enough, if you have competence, you will open the door by yourself. Is either they open the door for you or you open it. Give an example of that, Jacob. Labor no grief for him. Labor refused to open the door. Jacob opened the door. Served the guy for tea. I'm making the guy broke. He said, "You know what? Go and be meeting the, the 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 rams. Anyone that becomes speckled is your own." Baba, that his grandfather, great grandfather, great great grandfather. That's their work. You are testing me with animal husbandry. By the time he was done with labor, everything had converted to his own. I said there are some doors that if men don't open for you, you will open it. If you are competent, men don't want to open the door. You will open the door for yourself. Go and read the story. I've never heard the story of many people that nobody wanted to give them a chance, but their, their, their stuff was extremely good that they found their way to get the music or the art or the whatever to somewhere people would notice it and people had to give them the recognition. Because in this world, there will always be a scarcity of competence people. I don't know why. When Jesus said, the poor you will always have among you, he was not cursing us. He was not telling us the limitation of humanity. He was telling us how people behave. Because he knew there will always be people that don't have sense. Now, I'm not saying all poverty is caused by not having skill. Follow me, please. Don't jump. I'm just saying that there's a lot of poverty, needless poverty, that is not because of suffering for Christ. I've seen it and I know what I'm saying. Is not suffering for Christ. That's why any country that knows what it's doing, if it wants its economy to grow, must invest in its human capital. Get your people more competent and leave the rest for God. If you want your country to get better, get your people to be more competent and leave the rest for what? God. Co- 
Yes. You learn a skill and get good at it. Get, see, get good at it. No matter what it is. And this is not even a matter of uh, what I have interest in and what we're not interested in. There's a book I read and let me just say it. It's not, um, it's a lesson. It's a lesson from the world. It's not um, scripture. But you know, my congratulator wrote a book and he said something about how that anything you practice, if you practice it long enough, you become a master at it. It is consistent with scriptures. If you exercise yourself in these things, continue in them daily, eventually your profiting will do what? Show unto all. If you learn, if you have mastery in something, hmm, people start paying for it. Give 10,000 hours to anything, you will gain mastery of it. So that's why when you say some motivational speakers say something like, poverty is a choice. Poverty is a mindset. Even though those are meaningless But... These are the kind of things that they're usually over-exaggerating. Because you look at a lot of people and you look at their stories. Go and check. You see what I'm saying? It seems like as if there are a lot of these guys that it's like as if they were in absolute control of their lives. They planned that I will do this and I will do that and this is what will happen and it will be so. That's how it is. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. That's how it is. What you will find at most is that there can be a delay between when the person acquires the skill, one, and then after the skill has been acquired, before the door opens, there can be a delay. But that the person will always never have the effort to have is not so. It's not so. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? In fact, the world is set up right now in such a way that even before you have gained mastery, people have started giving you the work. Even before you gain mastery. There are a lot of people that don't even have mastery safe, but their own mastery is in sweet mouths and packaging themselves is a mastery. Do you know that? They don't have to do anything, but they not to sell themselves. And because of that, they're giving them jobs. How much more you? That you know your work. People will find you. Do work for one person. They will, brought, they will evangelize like the woman at the well. Guys, I hear what I'm saying to you. So if you're in Nigeria, you're in the UK listening to me, you're in Australia, wherever you are, as much as your society can permit. Because when the exchange is one naira to 530 naira, eh? because even if they pay you 5 million naira, by the time they convert it to pounds, you know you understand what I'm saying. But in Nigeria, that money will do you. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So it's not about I want to be rich. See, what God is doing in your life is enough. You are not competing with anybody. You are not competing with anybody. You, you are doing what God will have you do. If you are a teacher, understand child psychology. Understand that's why we've seen a lot of things like, like listen to me and let me tell you guys the truth. Listen to me. As much as we are giving towards the gospel and everything, there are some things I expect you to also sacrifice for yourself. I expect you to sacrifice to get certifications. I need to expect you to sacrifice to get yourself better, to learn stuff. Not every time money for traveling abroad, sometimes money for masters. Because it will get you to be better. You will reap the reward if you sow that seed into your future. Become competent when they are talking about your talk, your 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 work. The people that know more than you in that work should not be more than one or two. Get yourself to that level and come and ask me now, ten years from now, if you have money or not. Are you hear what I'm saying to you? See, it's not by anointing oil for favor. We get our guys from our background. 
they've been anointing their oil head with oil for decades. Nothing they happen. No. And it's not God that is unfruitful. That's why I have a problem with this thing. When you equate God to that thing, and that thing is not coming, you now say the problem is God. The problem is not God, sir. It's, 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 the problem is what you have equated it to. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I say, God, God, why? We have been praying every day. Why? Why? We, we have been praying every day. Bishop, the pastor has told us that we will be rich. pastor has told us that we will prosper. pastor has told us this is our week. Every week, every week, every week. So it's God. It's God that is not doing it. It's not God that is not doing it. It's you. It is you. Just get him. We are here to reshape your values. We could have no vex. We have to reshape these values. Two, having learned a skill, you must work hard with it. Not the one that you be waking up 10 o'clock, sleep by 12, and you're not exerting yourself. So what Apostle Paul said, he said we labored. Not because we don't have the privilege to ask for some things, but so that we can be a good example for you. You labor. Let's listen to what the richest man has to say. That's why things they say uh, Solomon was rich because God favored him. Solomon was not before God favored him. That's why you never see any place where Solomon, in his all his proverbs, talked about divine favor as a source to being rich. Did you notice? Go and read the book of Proverbs. The richest man was telling people about how to make money. He didn't mention um, divine favor. He didn't mention all those things once. All the things he ever talked about: one, skill; two, hard work. Let's listen to him. I be you don't believe in Solomon again. Because he has scattered your table. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Open your Bible. Yeah, we should be reading one by one. So what they take Romans chapter 10. Um, Debbie, take Romans 10, 4. If um, Proverbs 10, 5, Jerry. Debbie, take Proverbs 10, 5. If I take Proverbs 13, 16. Proverbs 13, 16. Joe, take um, Proverbs 14, verse 8. And Joe, Joe, take Proverbs 14, verse 15. Let's read it one, one after the other like that. So Proverbs 10, 15. 10, 5, Jerry. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. Church, are we together? Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. I think I've even mixed it up. Okay, let me start from. Um, who is Proverbs 10 4? Did anybody take Proverbs 10 4? No. Shall I take Proverbs 10 4? Proverbs 10 verse 4. Um, Daniel, take Proverbs 13 verse 4. 14 15. Uh, Pastor, please take Proverbs 12, 24. So, Proverbs 10, 4. Uh-huh. He becometh poor that deals with a slack hand. But the hand of the diligent word makes what? So why is he poor? Slack hand. Not because he has not paid his tithes. It's not because of the devourer. The devourer is your laziness. Your devourer is your laziness. Yes, snap your finger. Are we together? Daniel, Proverbs 13, 16. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry. 13, verse 4. 13, verse 4. Sorry, my... The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Why the soul of the diligent is richly what? Supplied. So the sluggard soul will be wanting things. They are the ones that look at people and be shouting, God win. God win. God win. They want things, but who will kill them? 
Sakpa will finish them because they are what? Lazy. They are lazy. I almost finished this message today. They are lazy. They are lazy. Pastor J, please, um, chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligence will rule. The, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. The lazy man will work for the hardworking man. The lazy man will work for the hardworking man. Let me read my own. So, um, Proverbs 19. Verse 15. Laziness brings on deep sleep. And the shiftless do what? They go hungry. You are sleeping every time because you are lazy. And you will become hungry. <laughs> you are laughing. He's <laughs> bringing some pictures to mind, Davi. <laughs> A picture. <laughs> Hallelujah. Have you nobody is more competent in money making than Solomon? Is there? Is there? He's not Christocentric enough. No, okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Laziness. You have to work hard. When you've earned a skill, work hard with it. Let people know your work ethic. Let them be dependable. Please don't be a tailor. That they will say, I'm bringing the clothes on Tuesday. Until Friday before they see it, business will leave you. Business will leave you. Ah, the guy that shows my native. I'm happy to give you his number if you want. The guy will measure you over the phone. And you just call and ask and say, my clothes, so, 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 day, pay for the money. That day is landing in your house. You guys saw that and say, by what, the first day of the service? Come on now, see this one. I'm, I'm really, I'm happy to give him my money. Take all my money. I'm happy. Any disposable income I want, I'm taking on this is the guy. The guy can bank on it that he has a loyal customer. Because the guy works hard and he's competent at his job. He knows his work. But who saw things for you like this? When you take the picture, you'll just be depressed. You'll just be sad. When you wake up, like, God, why? Why me? What have I done? Such a person, you know that there's nothing in this world that can make you go back to them. Such a person will not be looking for oil for fuel. Is it we that is doing you? There is no greater divine favor that God can bestow on a man than that the Holy Spirit is living inside of him. Divine favor is not your problem, I promise you. You have divine favor already. You have it already. Poverty is so strong in Nigeria that there's a level of mysticism on poverty. And it also boils down to the fact that we have the wrong value system. So when we look at rich people in our culture, we don't usually have a reductionist. Uh, we don't usually have a... I don't know how to use words that... I'm trying to say we don't have a easy-to-track physical system of tracking why they are rich. So it makes it hard for us to know 
why people are rich in Nigeria. So that's why we attribute a lot of mysticism and super, superfluity to rich people in Nigeria. You just say the guy is rich because many of us can't say what exactly they are doing. We just believe that becoming rich is something that is not material. So it's something woozy wazoo, something up there. And that's why Nigeria is poor. Any country that you cannot tell why there are rich people are rich will be poor. Write it down. The Holy Spirit is just giving me all kinds of lines this morning. Any country where you cannot tell why there are rich people are rich will be poor. Do you know why? Because a value system that does not track, that does not value people working hard will be endemic in that society. And that's what's happening to Africa. That's what's happening to Nigeria. A lot of our rich people are rich because they stole money, because of cronyism, because of nepotism, because they are doing something in politics, or because someone gave them one useless license. Not because people work hard. So because of that, when people are thinking of how to be rich, they don't think of things like working hard. They think of, how can I get a connect? How can I get a link? How can I do this? How can I? That's what people think of. And that's why this country is poor. That's why you don't have innovation. So are you getting to me? Are you listening to me? So you work hard. Let all your colleagues know. Let your boss know that they can depend on you. That you will deliver. Do that. Promotion will not be a problem. Yes, there will be some unreasonable people that despite you're working hard, they will be unreasonable. Trust me, it can never last for long. <laughs> Was a human not a human being? Was Modikai not a human being? What happens to him at the end of the day? Listen to me if you are competent and you are working hard. And there's one Hamas, Heman Jare, I see Hamas. There's one Heman somewhere that is trying to block your promotion. See, they will move eventually. God will deliver you from those wicked and unreasonable men. It's people, these are the kind of people that when we are praying in church and say God is about to open door, you are the one that should lift up your hand. If you don't have work or you are not skilled, don't lift up your hand. And the third and most important thing, I, I skipped, so this is what you guys will now read for me. The third thing is prudence. What is prudence? Prudence is a mixture of being wise in your spending, savings, and reinvestments. That means planning, being wise in the way you spend money. Prudence. So it means that when you earn money, you don't blow all the money on shawarma. You don't blow all the money on suit, um, on crocs and um, fine shoes and chain and all those things. You don't blow your money on iPhone and Samsung. You don't earn money, save all the money and buy Jeep with it. That's what you begin to see about the Protestant work ethic. It is also part of the Confucian ethos. You begin to see, and it's in scripture. When you earn money, eh? When, you st- when, your, when your sources of earnings increase, this is a good rule of thumb. Don't let your lifestyle in- change immediately. Let your lifestyle remain like that for like one or two years. Save a whole lot. And use that massive quantity to change, go to the next level. Save. You get a new job that is paying you well. Don't because of that now increase how much you are spending per month now. She be you were living away before. Did you die? Continue living like that. Save money. Be prudent. Be able to delay gratification. There are some times that you will just look at something and just say, I can afford this thing, but no. 
because of more important things. Those savings you now have, eh? You will not, ah, one of the things that my mentor taught, told me, me and my wife, that changed our life. You know what he said? Mashallah. He said something to me some years ago. He said, the money that will change your life is not the money that you have in trickles. As I go to have mentors, they will not just teach about ministry, they teach about life. He said, the money that will change your life is not the money that just comes in trickles. Rather, it is the money that comes together as um, a, a, a huge sum. Are you listening to me? The money that will change your life is not money that comes in trickles. It's money that comes as a huge bulk. Do you know what that means? He was telling me that, see, save money. Save money till you have a huge sum. That huge sum is what is going to, you're going to use to buy things into your life or bring things into your life that will bring even more profit into you. I hear what I'm saying to you. See, you're earning 200,000 every month and that 200,000 is just blowing out of your life. You're just using it, buy suya, you go out to watch movie and everything, you buy a new suit every, every month, you're spending the money. What will happen is that despite the amount that you have, that you're earning, every year, year in on year, your life will not change. But if you want your life to change, if you want to grow in your earnings, this is what you should do. You're earning 200,000, the amount that you set aside to give towards the gospel, set it aside. The amount that you budgeted at the beginning of the, the month that you're going to spend on your, yourself, set it aside. Then the amount that you want to save, set it aside. Ha! What you just find is that after some time, you'll be seeing money in your account that you never knew you could have. Then take that money and use it to get something that will add value to your life. People will look at you like, oh, more, this guy gave money. You will see people that you are earning the same money together and their lives have not changed. This was the secret of the Protestant work ethic. You see what those Protestants will do? They will earn, they will not even spend money on themselves. In fact, there was something they did. They are one of the people that began the culture of um, people wearing similar clothes and being okay with it. So in, 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 in late medieval times, the culture that they had then was that whenever you want to wear clothes, you wear customized clothes. If you want to wear purple, they will go and dye it in one setting, um, dye around the Mediterranean, they will make the purple for you. So everybody's clothes was hand-stitched. It was the protestant that began to do mass-produced. They began to believe in things like all of us, that's why if you watch all those movies, you see Puritan people, all of them wearing black and white. Black, white, the same cap. Black. They're the ones that taught us the culture that all of us can wear the same thing and it's not a bad thing. In those days, it was like if you wear the same clothes to someone, there's a problem. So you see everybody's clothes is always different. If you go and look at all those Italian nobles, all those Milan and Venice, if you look at the way they dress in France, when the Spanish, when they wear their clothes, it's always different. But it was the protestant that came and said, Alaye, let's look for cheap clothes that everybody will wear. There will not be any money. Mass producing clothes for everybody and they'll be keeping the profits. When the money is now plenty, they will now go and buy 20,000 acres. 100 generations after, they are still enjoying the money because somebody somewhere ahead was thinking. That's how you should live your life. There is some suffering that we are suffering that is not for Christ. Because we are not doing what the scripture says we should do. Let's read the Bible, the scriptures that we say should read. There be you are the first person. You read your honor, um, If I read your I will finish this thing today. The guys online, sorry for your data. Mm-hmm. Everybody may act with knowledge. Uh, but a fool lays open with folly. So when you are taking steps, you take calculated steps. You take steps based on knowledge. You don't do things anyhow. You make calculated steps. 
This is one of the things that the Methodists brought into it. They believe very much that our God is not a God of disorder, like Apostle Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 14. Our God is not a God of chaos. Our God is not a God of confusion. So if God is not a God of confusion and he has plans, why should you also live your life based on vibes and inshallah? This idea of um, let's just live our lives anyhow and a lot of misunderstanding and everything. When Jesus says do not take worry for tomorrow, he did not say do not plan for tomorrow. It means don't have anxiety for tomorrow. So that means that you have plans for tomorrow, but when we say, hey, God, will it happen or will it not happen? No, leave it. God will take care of it. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So do not worry for tomorrow does not mean do not plan for tomorrow. It means do not be anxious for tomorrow. So you have a plan. You look at your income now and say, I want to be able to do this in five years. It is not, this is faith. You see that, that one of, in the next five years, I'll have one millionaire in my account. In the next five years, I'm going to have 10 millionaire in my account. That's not faith. That's faith in yourself, not faith in God's word. Let me tell you what faith looks like. Are you hear what I'm saying to you, Shea? You will sit down and say, five years from now, this is the amount I would like to have. And the reason why I would like to have the amount is because it's going to enable to give to the gospel. I'll be able to take care of my family. Because a man that cannot provide for his family is worse than a what? Infidel. I won't be able to provide for my family. I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to do that. It's not persecution for the sake of the gospel. This is the plan. This level of competence, what kind of level of competence will I need to be able to earn that amount? That means in my career, I have to be at a social place. In my career, I have to be at a social level. What do I need? What kind of qualification? What kind of competence do I need to be on that level? I need to have a master's. I need to have gone to social courses. I need to have been known by this and I known by that. How much am I earning now? I'm earning three hundred thousand per month now. How much is the thing that I need to get that qualification? I need to social amount. So how long do I have to save to get it? Six months. So you start saving. That's how to live your life. This is what the Protestants did. That they really. The only thing I do not agree with all the things that the professionals did, which is too much, was the idea that how much money you have is a proof of your salvation or how saved you are. That um, the way your work of your hand is going is how is whether you are saved, is the proof that you are saved. I do not follow Calvinists and do that one. Because I don't agree. Because the life of a man is not in the abundance of the things that he owns. together. Prudence. What's the next one? Read the scripture. Yes. The prudence understand where the, that was the scripture I wanted to use for this example. I've already used the example before the scripture. The prudence understand where they are going. Do you see what Solomon is saying to you? Finish it, sir. But hey, but fools deceive themselves. The prudence know where they are going. But foolish people deceive themselves. I can never be broke. I will have one million in You are deceiving yourself. I will have 10 million naira. I will feed the nations. Nations will borrow from me. I will lend to nations. I will take over the kingdom of media. I will take over the kingdom of politics. I will do the, You are deceiving yourself. Yes. Share it and abuse me. I would rather stop mentioning and not tell people the truth. You are deceiving yourself. All that thing you have been saying since all these years, where did it take you? People that are not saved, people that are oppressing women, people that are literally having slave lock and they have money. It's not by all those things. Oh, the prudence, the prudence know where they are going. Certain countries, 
like the Emirati countries. They say, oil has come and we have been poor for so long. What shall we do? They know where they are going. Scholar, um, the scientists tell them, this oil will finish in so, so, so time. And the oil is also subject to fluctuations in the markets. But what do we want? We want a sustainable economy for our people. So we will make profit from this money. We will pump it back into tourism. So that even when oil stops, or when oil is fluctuating international markets, the tourism will sustain us and our standard of life. Prudence knows where it is what? Going. But foolish people deceive themselves. Our diversity is our strength. God will do it. Let us keep praying for our country. And you have more oil than countries and you are serving them. A fool deceives himself. Planning is faith. Do you hear what I said to you? Did you hear what I said to you? Because faith is having faith. Faith is agreeing with God on his word. Therefore, planning is faith. You're a student. You look at your life and plan. Be prudent. If you do this, as much as your context can, even if you're in Togo, if the, if the people that are in Togo are doing chickens, you will have enough chicken to take care of yourself. If you are born in Antarctica and all they have is fish, you will have fish to sustain yourself. And if you are born in UAE, where there's plenty of money, you will have plenty of money. No matter where you find yourself, you will do well. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I will never tell you in this church that the key to God blessing you is for you to send money to me or to pay your tithes. Many of you here are going to have plenty of money. I'm telling you, if you hear what I'm saying to you, many of you here are going to have plenty of money. Many of you. And it will not be because you are paying your tithes. What I expect for you, from you is at this level, you know, we are just starting. I expect for you to begin to be like us. I don't expect to be giving just 10% of what you earn. I expect you to give more than that. So I'm not going to ask you for tithe. I will ask you for what you have set aside for the gospel. And I will not tell you that because you are giving that, that you are, that you are, you are poor. I will tell you that. But you will see what I'm saying. Shall I hear, are you hear what I'm saying to you? What then is our advantage? Because everything I've said now, someone will have said, ah, so we are non-believers, we're the same thing. In many sense, yes, when it comes to money. So what then is our advantage? The Holy Spirit is at my advantage. How? The Holy Spirit is my advantage. How is your advantage? If you mean your advantage over your previous self, your old man, yes. If you mean he's your advantage over people that are outside, that means other Christians or unbelievers, he's not your advantage. You what I just said to you? Did you hear what I just said to you? What then is the value of the Holy Spirit? What then is the value of the salvation that we have received? Listen to me and hear me well. The value of the salvation I have received, the value of the Holy Spirit in you, is that it will enable you to do the will of God for you. It is immaterial to other people. There's a question. Um... Um, how come no Christian is richer than Dangote? It's a meaningless question. Dangote's wealth is has nothing to do with what God is doing in us. Someone tells you that we are the children of God, therefore we're supposed to be the richest people in the society. From where? 
We are children of God. Therefore, we are supposed to be running all the seven kingdoms. We are supposed to own me. Who told you that? Where? No. The advantage that the Holy Spirit is in you is that wherever he sends you to go, you will be able to do what he asks you to do well. So if you're, like I taught you guys on the purpose and platforms and gifts, right? If the Holy Spirit will have you be in a platform, if it's to be a teacher, and he wants you to reach people there, to do some things there, he will help you to do it well. It's not to help you to be the richest teacher, or to be the best teacher, or to be the principal. It's for you to do the will of God for you. What that means is that as you are doing the will of God for yourself, sometimes it can lead you to have more money than others. It's possible, but that's not the point. And sometimes it can lead you to have less money than others. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is that you are doing what God will have you what do. The Holy Spirit is my advantage. The Holy Spirit is my advantage. I'm going to become a, I'm, as I'm going to banking, my own banking style will be better. And that's how people can be going to do all kinds of funny, funny things. And that mentality begins to extend into all kinds of things. So when I'm playing football, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help me to win the match and all that. That's why you'll be seeing that you guys are always praying that Nigeria should win the match, but they never win. You've been playing that your club should win match, but your club can never win because God does not do those kind of things. That's why I stopped watching football. You want to turn God to Zeus and Apollos, that the pagans will offer sacrifices to so that their side can win. Is God your mate? Pray from now till tomorrow that Nigeria will win Olympic gold. Nigeria will not win if the Olympic people do not practice and if our um, National Sports Association do not plan for them. In China and all those people that don't believe in God, they will pack all the gold. Muslims will pack gold and say, lie, 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 I'm telling you, you will pray and be eating your head in Nigeria and fasting. Nothing will happen. What is the advantage? The advantage is that God helps you to do his will for you. The Holy Spirit is my advantage. The Holy Spirit is my advantage. What do you mean? Be careful that what you are not saying is the Holy Spirit is going to help me to make money. So that means that the Holy Spirit is a tool that will help me to be better than other people. You can see where you have brought God down to, to your level. The Holy Spirit is my advantage. I hope you know what you are saying. If you mean the Holy Spirit is making you better than your former self, than the old man, you are correct. But if what you are saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to help me to compete with other people and get more than them, you are wrong. It is a heresy. It sounds good and you might not feel the sting of how bad what you are saying is because people are saying it, but it is still wrong. Look at all the men in the scriptures. Did you see any one of them that God was doing it so that they can be better than other people? Look at Joseph. What God did in Joseph, Joseph told us why God, what God did in him. He said, God brought me here so that I can deliver you. The deliverance came because Joseph was prime minister. It was not because God wanted to make Joseph better than other people. It's because God had a plan for Joseph and that plan was for him to deliver his brothers and his family. So Joseph was fulfilling the purpose of God for him. He was not having an advantage over other people. Look at Daniel. See, Daniel was five times better than his equal. So God goes to make you better. Daniel becoming better than the other people was the effect of God of him fulfilling what God wanted him to be. It was not that God was competing with other people. And so God said, I want to be better than other people. No, no. Daniel was fulfilling the purpose of God for him. It could have led to him being better than... It, it led, in his own case, it led to him being better than other people. In Isaiah's case, it did not lead to him being better than other people. In Jeremiah's case, it led to them throwing him inside pits. 
and writing the book of Lamentations. In John the Baptist's case, it led to him walking up and down with camel clothes and licking honey up and down like a crazy person. You know what I'm saying to you? Which is my advantage? Which is the advantage for you to do the will of God for you? It is to do the will of God for you. Church out together. Hebrews chapter 13. I want to end on these notes. Verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Hey, glory to Jesus. Woo. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What do you have? The Lord is my helper. So I don't need to be greedy. I don't need to be covetous. What I have is more than enough because what I have is is immaterial. In the days when I have 1,000 and I have to manage manage, manage Gary and Kuli Kuli, the Lord is my helper. It does not have a bearing on me. When I stretch my clothes and I step out of my house, people think I just hear chicken and turkey. Because the Lord is on my inside. I'm not looking at anybody's jeep and saying, God, when? God, when? God, when? No! The Lord is my helper. With what I have, I'm happy. I will continue to work and I will earn more. But I'm not competing with anybody. I'm not competing with anybody. My self-esteem does not derive from being better than other people. My self-esteem does not derive from being richer than other people. In fact, when I have more, more money than other people, my heart is bleeding. I want to give them what I have. So how can I be deriving my, my pride from having more money than others? Hallelujah. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, be on your guard, be careful of covetousness, be careful of greed, because the value of your life, your self-esteem must not be from how much money you have. Hallelujah. If I, your value is not in how much money you have, you are not less valuable than the guy that has millions of naira. And you are not more valuable than the guy in the village that does not have money. All of you are doing the purpose of God for your life. We will never get to the point in this church where because somebody is a billionaire, they will have seats in front. Hear me now. Call me out if it ever happens. Because you're a billionaire, you will not have special time to come and talk to us. 
are you hear what I'm saying to you? Because nobody is more valuable than another just because they have more money. No. Once you begin to believe that a man's value is based on how much money you have, you are already a greedy person because you are engineered to maximize your self-value. And that's why no amount of money will ever be enough for you. Can I just say to you? That's why no amount of money will ever be enough. Because there will always be one way where more money can increase your sense of value. You are like a basket with water being poured inside. What you are looking for to satisfy can never satisfy. It is not the place of mammon to satisfy your internal needs. Mammon can only satisfy your material needs. It cannot satisfy your sense of value. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So you don't need to be greedy to get more money to fill that void. You don't. You have God on your inside. You have the Holy Ghost on your inside. What more favor, what more goodness can a man receive? That's the funny thing about greed. Greed is counterproductive. Not only is it ungodly, it is counterproductive. Especially for making money. Do you know why? Because a man that is greedy cannot be prudent. A man that is greedy will keep making bad decisions. He will keep making stupid decisions. He's the one that will fall prey to, to scammers. He's the one that will make rubbish investments for get-rich-quick schemes. A man that is content is the man that can delay gratification, can, can play the long game, can make long-term plans because he can delay gratification. He can hold himself. That's the value of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you in times of poverty to maintain your composure and your emotions and you will not lose God because you don't have money. That's the advantage of the Holy Spirit. That you will not have money but inside you, your joy is the same. The joy of salvation does not reduce. Your love for people does not reduce. Your, 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 your relationship with people does not reduce. That's what the Holy Ghost does. Your joy does not go down. That's what the Holy Ghost does. That's the advantage that he is inside of you. You get to a point where genuinely, I have tasted this, so I'm not, I'm not whining you. You see people with bigger cars and to God, it doesn't get to you. You see your colleagues that you went to school with and they are making more money and to God, it does not get to you. Because you know what God is doing inside of you. I hear what I'm saying to you. One last scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6. verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Somebody say contentment is gain. And greediness and greed is counterproductive. Contentment is gain. And greed is counterproductive. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing we will be content with that. He says we'll be content. It's not that we are complacent. We are content. That means that with what we have, we are happy. Not that we are sad. We are happy. Does not mean that we're not going to strive to make more, but at every point in time, we're not depressed because we don't have money like other people. We are content with what we have. We are happy with what we have. We are fulfilled with what we have. At every point in time, whether we, our car is pencil or our car is a G-Wagon, we are happy with what we have. Whether we're living in a two-bedroom flat or we're living in a four-bedroom mansion, we are content with what we have. Whether I am single or whether I am married, I am content with what I have. 
those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. So people that want to get rich, people that value themselves by how much money they have, that's what I was saying, that this is not a teaching on how to get rich. It's a teaching on how to profit financially in your context. People that want to be rich, that means they want to have more money than other people. People that have made their, their goals in life to attain onto money, that means people who money is at the peak of the hierarchy of their values. People who, who money is their priority, such people, they fall into all kinds of harmful temptations. They make stupid decisions. They make stupid decisions. They make all kinds of nasty decisions that destroy them. Because they want to make money, they will sacrifice their families. They won't talk to their wives. They won't be there for their children. And their families will scatter because of the money. After making the money, what is the point? Is it not food? Is it not still chicken you eat? Or because of one career decision, they are willing to sleep with their boss, or they are willing to slander their long-term friend, or they are willing to destroy another person's um, career so that they can get ahead. Let me tell you how to know you are content. A content man is a man that is willing to only do godly things to get more money. Write it down. A content man is a man that is willing to do only godly things to make more money. That's how you know the difference between a content man and a greedy man. A greedy man is willing to do anything to make more money. A content man is willing to do only godly things to make money. So a man can say, the blessings of God make us rich and added no sorrow. That's what it means. That means you can make financial gain and you will not have fallen into all kinds of harmful loss. Let me even finish that scripture. Look at Apostle Paul says it. This will not be your case. He says, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Some people, eager for money, have even wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Did you see that? The love of money, people that are eager to make money, people that money is their priority, people that have that refuse to have God's hierarchy of values but want to have a hierarchy of values where money is at the top. Such people are eager for money. And the Bible says that they are even going to wander from the faith. That is why I am passionate about this matter. This materialism must die, 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 die. Because people lose faith because of this issue. A lot of us that were in fellowship together, today know where to be found. Why? We've gotten into a place where money, 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 money. You have prepped people from a young age while they're in school. That the, 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 the manifestation of how much God is with them is how much money they have. Alumni will come to the school and tell us and tell them things like, um, 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 because I paid tithe when I was in school, I did this when I was in school, God opened the door for, door for me in Chevron. And God opened the door for me in Shell. So you to keep yourself in school. And people are working, doing godliness as a means to gain. And then they get out and it's no soul. And they start chasing money and they leave the faith. Some are offended that God is not faithful because they were told that the faithfulness of God is seen in how much money you have. It does not work. A lot of people are content with that delusion in their minds, that cognitive dissociation. 
there are cognitive dissonance. They are okay with it. They can continue in their minds without having any kind of conflict. But many people will not be okay with it. And the salvation of many people is not okay, depends on it. Church out together. So I am not greedy. I'm the content. I will make gain. It is true that the blessings of God make it rich and I did no sorry. That means that the promise of God, the blessings of God can add things to your life without any sorrow. That is the man in Christ. That's the man that is content. That is the man that knows who, what he has. God is my helper. God is my helper. That is the man that is not scared of giving. Every believer that is scared of giving is always, that fear is always based on wanting anxiety. Anxiety of not having. The correlation, let me say this, that there's a correlation causation fallacy that happens between people giving and, and prosperity. So you see people prosper after they give and they think it's because they give that they prospered. It's a correlation causation fallacy. It's something we call in logic that because two things happen together does not mean that one caused the other. Do you understand that? I'm sorry for using big English. So correlation causation fallacy is that because two things happen together does not mean that one caused the other. So because a man gave tithe, and you see a lot of people that gave tithe, and then something happened in their life, and they give a testimony, we now begin to tell ourselves that giving tithe is what leads to prosperity. No, it's a correlation causation fallacy. This is the causation. They just correlate. This is what causes it. A man who knows the Lord is my helper what can man do to me he's a man that is not afraid of giving to the gospel he's also a man that can make decisions and do stuff that will make money come to him did you hear what I just said to you did you hear what I just said to you now a man that says the Lord is my helper is a man that can give he's also a man that can trust God in the hard times till doors open to him he's a man that can stand on God's word and God's word is fulfilled. The causation is the heart, is not the giving. That's why if you look through the scriptures, you will look at it, go and read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Philippians chapter 4, everywhere that giving was correlated with the prosperity, you will never hear the way Apostle Paul says, because you give, God is blessing you. What he will say is that, as you are giving, God will bless you so that you can give more. That's why he will say, is he that gives seed to the sower and bread for food. So if he's the giving the seed to the sower, why, how can he be giving seed, fruits, after you have sown the seed? He's the one that gave you the seed to sow. So that means that God is blessing you so that you can sow. Can you hear what I'm saying to you? We'll talk about giving another day. So what you reap cannot be because you gave. It's God that gives seed to the sower. God blessed you so that you can be a blessing. So God, you did blessing come to your life because you gave. No. Blessing came into your life because you're a man of faith. You are standing in Christ because of the hearts. You are blessed because you stand on God's word, not because you give. But when you stand on God's word, we see you giving. Did you hear what I just said to you now? Did you hear what I just said to you now? You guys will do well, though. But stand on God's word. Don't put your faith in lies. Don't put your faith in what does not satisfy. Don't substitute brass for gold. You will do well. You will do well. I think that's enough. Let's go ahead and let's pray before we close. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. 
For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Yeah.